Hello and welcome to the Mystery Arts Podcast. My name is Matt Packard. This is episode two of Clubs. Got a great show for you today. I spoke with Neil Tobin. Uh, Great conversation. I'm really excited to share this with you. We got into uh, a lot of the ideas that have been kind of circling around the show um, since its inception, including uh, focusing on uh, theater and the higher potential for art in mentalism and the mystery arts. Um, So just a great great conversation. That's coming up real soon. I'm going to keep it quick here. We'll get right into that in just a moment. Just a little quick housekeeping. Um, As you have undoubtedly noticed, uh, the shows have become a bit more infrequent. And um, due to COVID and uh, a number of other factors, it's been um, a challenge for me to keep up a regular schedule. And unfortunately, that is going to kind of be the case. Uh, They're going to be sort of intermittent at this point. I'll, I'll put out a a podcast uh, when I when I'm able to when I have time to um, like that. I'm not going to rule out uh, going back to a more regular uh, weekly or biweekly schedule at some point in the future. Um, but as of right now, I'm just not able to keep that up for a variety of reasons. As such, I'm pausing the Patreon. So I appreciate people that have uh, chipped in um, over the last uh, six months or whatever. But um, right now, it's going to be paused. Uh, with the possibility of starting that back up again uh, at a later date. So uh, that's what's going on for me. Hope all is well with you guys. Let's get into this interview with Neil Tobin. Okay, Uh, Neil Tobin, welcome to the Mystery Arts Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you um, because, you know, one of the sort of reoccurring themes on this podcast, as I talk to a lot of, you know, different uh, mystery artists, mostly mentalists, um, is the potential for sort of, um, you know, using the tools of mentalism in the mystery arts to create uh, art, you know, to create uh, theater, to create something that's not just a, a demonstration of nifty tricks, but rather something that could perhaps touch someone on a on a deeper level, um, or you know, uh, if if we can reach our very lofty goals, you know, to open someone's mind or to you know touch them emotionally or or spiritually or intellectually or whatever, and. Um, uh, I was really pleased and uh, excited to get to watch your uh, play um, about uh, Hanusen, the Palace of the Occult, and it, and it seems like uh, you're sort of aiming at that exact thing, um, because it is indeed a piece of theater whereby the, the the mystery arts elements are sort of like special effects, but the but it's part of a greater whole. Um, so uh, I'm uh, I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain about um, how you approach that that kind of a thing. Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, I'm so glad that you enjoyed what you saw because that was uh, that was a long time coming. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but uh, I and like you, I uh, I have shared a certain amount of frustration at what I've seen as a certain limitation within our art, which mm-hmm. is so many people who content themselves with simply stringing together a group of tricks and calling that a show. Right. Right. Yeah, And, you know, whereas I think it's important to recognize that a show is a piece of theater mm-hmm. and that it should have an overarching narrative, mm-hmm. ideally, and that it should build to a climax, ideally. Mm-hmm. And one needs to consider what the conflict is that builds to that climax. Oh, right. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, it's not it's not drama if there's no conflict. That's true. So so what is that? And in the standard parade of tricks, if one really thinks about it, uh, at least in mentalism, we have the advantage because we have uh, purportedly this skill that doesn't always work, that mm-hmm, needs mm-hmm. to warm up, right. and, and that is being consistently challenged in the course of one's performance, ideally uh, working up to the greatest challenge you can give it. And that conflict and that challenge should be palpable so that there is a discernible conflict. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. That's, yeah. And that's, that's a thing that's missing from, you know, the vast majority of magic and mentalism is, is, is both the overarching sort of theme uh, and a story or whatever that ties it together, but also, yeah, that sense of, of conflict and resolution, which is what uh, creates a, the, the resonance in people because otherwise, yeah, it's just a spectacle, right? Right, right. So, so the narrative that you that you bring to your work can be, you know, I'm a guy with these powers, and they don't always work, and I'm really hoping they're going to work tonight. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that when I do my corporate work, uh, when I do my private parties, so I'm not doing, you know, a, a biographical show about Hannison. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but in that context, you know, I have these powers, and it's my goal throughout the course of this demonstration to give it greater and greater challenges for your mm-hmm. entertainment right you know and that's that at least gives it some sort of projectory right 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 yeah uh, and, I, and i'm that's, sorry i'm sorry wait i, I said projectory it, it's trajectory trajectory oh yeah <laughs> you know what that flew right by me uh you know we could uh, yeah that's interesting um yeah that, and that's a good point because actually you know you mentioned corporate work and yeah, there are different venues for which different levels of sort of intensity or or storytelling and narrative are appropriate, right? Like, uh, you know, theater is definitely the time and the place to potentially open people up a little bit, but a corporate show might not be that. Um, So the sort of degree to which you create your... your, your your conflict and resolution needs to be sort of in within the you know, appropriate realm for the uh, for the venue i suppose that's that's an important point because a lot of mentalists and magicians that's sort of the peak of their uh creative output is you know sort of the corporate kind of gig right mhm right um, i mean personally i i'm happiest doing theater shows yeah absolutely and I'll, i mean i'm i i'm happy to of course do you know, corporate gigs and private parties and yeah. and the pay's nice. But uh, in a perfect world, I'm just doing theater shows because the sort of respect and attention paid you right. to create something, you know, completely immersive. I mean, that that's unlike any other venue. Absolutely. Yeah, I've only done a couple. My uh, my first theater show was uh, two years ago. I, we have a local fringe festival, you know, and I had been doing just, you know, the, the standard kind of private parties and, uh, and corporate mm-hmm. gigs and uh, was like, hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, sort of do my own thing. And well, I confess, uh, you know, t- it didn't transcend the uh, the parade of tricks all that much. Nonetheless, just that context of having uh, everyone there to see you and um, you not being incidental entertainment, you know, and and you know, just the sense of it being a show was very mm-hmm. intoxicating and and, and alluring. Um, and I've I've done only a couple since then, but I I feel the same way. It's it, that seems to be oh. where the sort of artistic. Uh, fulfillment really is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I I love fringe festivals. I uh, uh, I got to go to my first one a few years ago. I had I, the show that I wrote after the Hennison show. Mm-hmm. I wanted a safe 
place to work out the material. Right. Yeah. So I went. So so I ended up. Uh, a friend of mine urged me to go to the Indie Fringe Theater Festival in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Oh, it's it's not a bad drive from the Chicago area where I live, and but far enough out of town that the local <laughs> critics aren't going to descend upon me. Right. Uh, so it was a nice, safe space, and I had a new concept for a new show, and I wrote it all out and knew what my script was and knew what my effects were. It just needed to be broken in. Mm, yeah. And uh, and it was really, really helpful. And more than that, not only was it a great place to try new material, or as Jay Marshall was wont to say, uh, gave me a place to be bad. Right, right, yeah. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, uh, it, it An unexpected benefit was that I got to be around a lot of other solo theater artists who are thinking about the same sort of stuff that we are, uh, who, who are not just, you know, magicians or mentalists yeah. with their heads and tricks, right. but are really, but are really, thinking about the challenges of making theater and it was it was incredibly helpful just and warm and welcoming to be part of this community for a period of time it was some of those people i am still friends with it was incredible yeah yeah no totally yeah i had a a similar experience that uh seeing the 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 incredible variety of different kinds of uh of shows and performances is 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 super inspiring for you know looking at your own act and and looking at different elements that you might consider bringing in and all that so yeah that's wonderful can you can you imagine if if the if the magical or ment- or metalism community were th- that warm and welcoming and supportive? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Can I imagine I mean, that? I look, I look no, back, I cannot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look back at the old, uh, you know, Ted Anneman ranting in the Jinx right. about how you know mentalists aren't supporting each other; they're not going out to each other's shows, right. you know, and just really, you know, giving them a hard time. It, it just it seems like the eternal struggle with and because you know they're i don't know we're all busy doing our own thing and it i think we all are by uh by temperament kind of introverted and yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. stuck in our labs doing our thing absolutely uh, yeah but uh wow it, it's just so eye-opening i strongly recommend anyone listening to this podcast if you have an opportunity to do a fringe festival and to be part of that you know agamon troop of a community yeah it is just it is just incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it really uh, it really is. Uh, I had a great experience as well, and it really took me back to uh, to my. I, I also was a sort of theater kid. I I, I can I strongly suspect that you have a a, a rich and storied uh, <laughs> uh, theater history. Um, I would yep. love to hear a little bit about your uh, sort of background and um, sure in uh, in theater and and how you got into the mystery arts uh, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, I, I got into the mystery arts, I think, probably the way most people did, which means that I was given, you know, magic on Hanukkah yeah. as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty standard. Yep. And so made a complete nuisance of myself as a boy magician mm-hmm. and uh, took classes and read books. And by the time I got to junior high, I was performing for other kids' parties. Great. Yeah. And, and then I got, to, well, got to high school and just before high school discovered theater, I was cast in my first musical right before high school. Uh-huh. Yep. And uh, Artful Dodger and Oliver, thank you very much. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, so I immersed myself in theater 
well, and and music too. I was uh, singing in the choral programs, and I play trombone in in all the instrumental programs. So uh-huh, great. I uh, I was immersed in music and theater throughout high school. That was that was my full time job. My grades kind of went to hell, but I was I was all <laughs> about theater and music. If I wasn't if I wasn't in a show, I was painting sets and doing construction for a show. Yeah, and uh, it was. Uh, that that was it. I I barely touched magic during that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I got to college, I continued. I, I minored in music. I got my degree in English, but I minored in music and I did as much theater on the side as I could. And I ended up doing theater there and doing summer stock as well. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Yeah. And and um, and magic remained on the, and, and mentalism re- remained on the shelf mm-hmm. until. Uh, I ended up going to Los Angeles for law school. I was on full scholarship to go to uh, Southwestern University School of Law. Uh-huh. And uh, while I was there, I, I only did a year there. And midway through that year, a little light bulb went off over my head at one point where the realization dawned on me, wait a minute, I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> the Magic Castle <laughs> yeah. is in Los Angeles. Yeah. And... So I called them up and said, you know, because I, you know, we we all know their their policy as far as admittance. Right. I called them up and said, "Hey, I'm a magician visiting from out of town," which was half true. Right? Uh, can I can I come by? Oh yeah, sure. Can I bring a couple of friends? Oh yeah, sure. So I grabbed a couple of friends of mine from law school, uh-huh. and the, and the three of us went to the Magic Castle one night, and. Man, that fire was reignited all over again. Next day, I was in Hollywood Magic buying books. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, beautiful. Um, were you always a uh, uh, sort of uh, attached to mentalism, or did that kind of come as a as a later development? Or you know, when I was when I was boy magician, uh, there was a you know the, the usual mental magic that comes in that you know with those. Yeah kits you know so you've, you've got the the color vision cube and you've got right. the sure shot dice box sure so so those things were always part of the mix mm-hmm. but i was pretty undiscerning mm-hmm. and when i re-examined the magic that i had been doing in my little studio apartment in los angeles looking back over my old props i'm like yeah I don't, you know, I don't think Temple Screen cuts it anymore. I don't think, uh, I don't no. think Square Circles is going to be in my repertoire, and Chinese sticks don't really fit. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when I went to uh, to Hollywood Magic, looked at books, I gravitated towards w- what my new tastes were, and right. they were very much uh, falling into mentalism and the bizarre. I, yeah, yeah. I picked up. Uh, I don't remember which, whether I picked up. Well, I, I must have picked up. Uh, practical mental effects first before I got the jinx because sure. that's what you do. Yeah. Why would you get? Why, why would you go the other direction? Right. So, uh, so I I, 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 I must have picked that up first, and yeah, the bizarre and mentalism both hit me really hard. Yeah, that makes and, sense. I mean, as a you know, yeah, as a- as a, as an as an adult and sort of uh, you know more mature human, uh, if you really do see this you know, the potential of, of, of magic, you're going to gravitate towards the stuff that feels sort of the strongest, I think, right? The most impossible. Well, and the, the stuff that feels real. Right. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, know? Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, that's a good distinction. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the first show that I ended up writing for myself, um, 
after I left Los Angeles, moved back to the Chicago area, I became involved with the Society of American Magicians in Chicago. And uh, Halloween was rolling around, and I got tired of hearing the treasurer giving his treasurer report at every meeting that we're <laughs> low on money. And I said, guys, it's almost Halloween. Houdini died on Halloween. We're Chicago's assembly. Why are we not doing a Houdini seance? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I wrote one, and I was the medium for it. And I ended up being the medium for it every Halloween for a dozen years. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's, uh, I'm sure that was intoxicating. Very cool. Yeah. Well, more than that, it, it, it was expressly a show where we were doing a theatrical, excuse me, where we were doing a theatrical recreation of an authentic Victorian sounds. Yeah. So we're playing it real. Yeah. 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 And uh, so it was incredibly educational to be able to, A, put that show together and B, play that role. And yeah. that's the the performance role that I ended up taking from that and continuing through the next show I would write. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, it's, it's the name that I still use professionally, Neil Tobin Necromancer. Right. This right. It, you know, putting, putting that little dark spin yeah. on, on the magical uh, and mystery arts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so uh, I had uh, Paul Vudini on uh, the show uh, oh, it was maybe a month or two ago. We talked a little bit about the uh, fascination with the Victorian seance and uh, how <laughs> you know you can trace the uh, the roots of mentalism very much to that to that era. Um, is that something that you've sort of uh, delved into on the sort of more academic level, or uh, do you have a level of um, interest and expertise to this day in the uh, Victorian seance stuff? Well, I don't think that you can responsibly give a theatrical response to that without doing the research. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I of course went through all that stuff, and one of, well, one of the books that I relied on heavily in terms of plotting my own work in that area was written by somebody who would become a mentor of mine, Eugene Berger. A Spirit Theater is a tremendous resource. Uh, wonderful. So, yeah. He. He's, so yes. It, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, so if anybody is listening who would like, who's interested in seance work, uh, Spirit Theater is a great book. It was put out by Kaufman and Company. Uh, it's large format, lots of text, and a good chunk of it is historical background. Okay, great. I haven't read that. That's wonderful. That's funny. You, uh, I guess you are indeed a mind reader because Eugene Berger was, uh, is next on my little list of uh, no- <laughs> notes here. Um, he was, he was hugely influential on me. I, uh, the, the show that I wrote subsequent to the Houdini seance. Well, let me just give you a, a quickie little story if I might. Yeah, please. The first year that we did the Houdini seance, we did it out in the suburbs where the club was meeting. And response was good, and we even got a, a, somebody who was writing for the local newspaper to come out and write a good freaked-out review for it. But we really didn't have the houses that would have been ideal. So right, right. I made a point you know, on my list of things to do for next year was to find a better venue that was in the city. And the first place that struck me as, as the one to talk to was this nightclub that was working out of a historic location that was allegedly haunted. Yeah. The nightclub is nightclub is called Excalibur Nightclub. Okay. 
in downtown Chicago. The building is this big, dark, Romanesque castle of a place. It's fantastic. It looks like it looks so like it landed out of nowhere. I don't. I, I, it, it, you you look at it, and you scratch your head because you know across the street is the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> right. <laughs> On yeah. the other, I mean, they're, they're all these modern commercial buildings mm-hmm. and hotels and tourist attractions, and then you you've got this dark looming crenellated structure it's fantastic yeah it's great and uh, so i gave them a call and i was able to show them the press that we got and explain to them that we wanted to do this and that we would that halloween happened to be falling on a night that wouldn't be a big night for them anyway Mm -hmm. and we'd even do it early enough that even if they had been open for business that night it would be before the big rush so we'd actually be doing them a favor by bringing people in yeah and they said, sure. Awesome. So they they gave us a try. We did it. And we got them so much press that they turned around to me and said, what can you do the rest of the year? Oh, perfect. Yeah, there you go. So the next thing I did was write Supernatural Chicago, which was a show that I'd already had in my mind that was designed to leverage the uh, the haunted background of that building mm-hmm. and and tie in other paranormal stories in the general Chicago area. And all of those stories were tied to magical and mentalism demonstrations. So right, it's right. interactive theater. Gotcha, right. And that show uh, that show ran for ten years. Amazing. Every, yeah, yeah, it was. Did you uh, was was it, was it changing? Did you were there like sort of different versions of the show as you went, or is it absolutely more? Okay, I, yeah. I, I would, I would, I mean, I the show was not changed all at once, but I would sure. certainly cycle in new material and cycle out mm-hmm. older material mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I would create it and see how it slotted in. And uh, to bring this back to Eugene Berger, yeah, because that's where all this was going. Yeah, <laughs> long story. Uh, he. He was somebody who I knew of. He was somebody whose books I had. And I knew that he was in the Chicago area, but I had never met him. Mm-hmm. And I just dropped him out of the blue an invitation to come see Supernatural Chicago. And he came. Ah, wonderful. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, with, within... I, I don't think he was at opening, but he was he was one, one of the first performances. Uh-huh. And after the show, he came back. I was behind my little backdrop. <laughs> he came back, handed me his card, and in his deep voice said, let's have lunch. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and wow. we did. And he gave me director's oh, notes. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Pages of them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, I mean, men did this professionally. People, sure. Vegas acts paid him for that. Absolutely, and he did that. He did that for me, just because he was a mensch. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And uh, thus began uh, our relationship. I uh, I got to have you know lunch with him from time to time and drop him notes when I was working on new material. And uh, he was 
he was just incredibly supportive. Ah, that's, what a what a wonderful uh, what a wonderful gift. That's, uh, that's true. Yeah, what an amazing guy. Definitely uh, uh, something something uh, we we all definitely uh, whether it's you know the bizarre mentalism uh, if we have an interest in in you know storytelling and uh, and uh, bringing theater into the mystery arts, uh, he's definitely the guy. And. So yeah, and it had it not been for him, I clearly would not have been able to write that show. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm, I imagine that doing that for, did you say, you said over 10 years? 12 years? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, basically at the 10-year mark, I retired it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that mu- you must have learned an incredible amount about, uh, about sort of all of the aspects of, of performing, uh, doing a show that long. Was that once it, a week? It was, Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, every Friday, every Friday night, that's I inc- was there. That's incredible! Wow, five hundred and twenty performances, right? It, it was uh, such uh, such an opportunity to be able to be there in that space and entertain groups of people, and you know, in an intimate space. Yeah, in a theater performance, it was tremendous. Yeah, that's- and yes, I I was absolutely not the same performer by the end of it than I was going in. Yeah. 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 That's, it's an awesome opportunity the, the, the couple of times where I've had a, a show that ran, you know, a few times in a short period of time, I'm always amazed how, you know, doing a couple of performances a night for, you know, three or four days, how, how, how amazing that is. You know, I can only imagine, you know, 10 years, how, how much you uh, you understand uh, yourself and 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 the way that audiences respond to your material and all that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of well, your... l- let me let me yeah, let yeah. me just say one thing about that, Please, and yeah. and that is, uh, I I know that a fair number of your listeners are probably not professionals. Yep. Uh, there is an ocean of difference between performing once in a while. Yeah. And getting to perform on a regular basis. There really is, yeah. Because uh, when you have the same material that you just get to hone and hone and hone yeah. so that it's in your bones, it's in your muscle memory, yeah. you then are able to direct your thoughts exclusively to how you're connecting with your audience. Right, absolutely. Everything, everything, else, everything else is automatic. So you, yeah. so you can specifically be in the moment and really, really focus on your interaction, mm-hmm. and that's just a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that, no, that's that that's that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, no. Uh, in terms of myself, you know, I've 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 done a little bit of of both. I I haven't ever had anything as regular as that, but um, but certainly have been performing long enough and have been doing the same. You know, sort of uh, have I have a show that's that's gotten pretty solid over the years, and it's so true. You know, when you can get to that point where you're not you don't really have to think about what you're doing uh it just gets so much better because you know ultimately audiences enjoy the special effects but the real sort of magic is the connection you know that you have with your you know between the performer and themselves so it's a it's so true um exactly so um i wanted to ask a little bit about the 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 sort of the character uh that you're presenting uh so the supernatural chicago is a sort of an um, offshoot of the of the seance character that the necromancer is that correct that's correct and and would you classify the character as a as a mind reader or uh more in the bizarre somewhere in between 
how, how do you sort or if you do if you care to characterize it at all <laughs> <laughs> well it that that's that's a fair question. And the word necromancer is elastic enough mm -hmm. that it's able to, at least at the time that I was using it, it, it wasn't generally in popular culture, except perhaps out of Dungeons and Dragons. It's become <laughs> yeah. perhaps more widely used now. Sure. But at, at the time, it was, it was really quite a subset. And so I could define it as somebody who had a variety of magical and psychic gifts. I see, yeah. And and someone with some somewhat of a dark cast to sure. him. And right. so yeah. so the, the I'm you know, I invite these people into my essentially <laughs> private dungeon of this <laughs> castle and am able to tell these stories often spooky stories of the paranormal and involve them in those stories that they feel like they've experienced them in some way right. beyond just hearing them. Right. And so the the necromancer is kind of your highly funny but not too funny. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there's a dark sense of humor going on. Uh, guide through all of these things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, a friend of mine referred to him as, uh, oh yes, he's the friendly mortician. <laughs> nice, yeah. And that wasn't th not a not a bad description at all. Right, right, right. And so the material though uh, was somewhere between mentalism and bizarre. You incorporated both of those, right? There's some. I incorporated of... both of those. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I never set out there, at the, the beginning of the show. Never said, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do sure, that. Of course, so yeah, you yeah. Know, what what they got, they got, and it was right. And it was interesting because there are audience members who were there specifically because they wanted to hear spooky stories. There uh -huh. are audience members who specifically wanted to see magical psychic stuff. Sure. Uh, some people were already true believers, and some people were skeptics but enjoy a good show. Yeah. And uh, so it it again it was it was elastic enough character and experience to satisfy them all. That's such a great mix because, uh, you know, one of the sort of downfalls, I think, of the uh, this sort of quote magic show is the, you know, just the sort of all, all the stereotypes and, and the audience's expectations around that and all that. It's it's very stale, you know. Uh, so what a cool opportunity where, uh, you, you know, it's not people that are there just to see you do some card tricks. You know, there's this variety of... And it, it, I imagine there's a sort of vibe that, that goes with that, you know, that... that, that uh, uh, because it's based around the paranormal more than... Uh, exactly. Than, I, than I at no point build it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, I at no point build it as a magic show. The word magic is not in the name. Yeah. And and uh, apparently I was in the right place right time in that when that show went up shortly after that's when shows like Ghost Adventures showed up on cable and right. and and other reality shows like it the whole ghost hunting thing sprung up right around Right, that same time. Wow, that's so, a boon. Yeah, uh, I ended so I so I actually uh, ended up being the talking head on a bunch of the 
those shows because they wanted to go to spooky places and i was the resident necromancer of excalibur nightclub so wow yeah you know what that worked out now that you're mentioning i i, I may well have seen you on one of those shows over the years <laughs> if you if, I, if you want to laugh pull up my imdb page i will <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh how cool oh that's fun oh interesting yeah what a, that's uh just such an interesting intersection of of uh, of things and uh, what a cool way to apply the the mystery arts um so, um, sorry, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay, that was weird. There's a little audio glitch. We're getting haunt. We're getting haunted. Uh, <laughs> I swear, a voice came in and said, "Eh, okay." Um, uh, so, um, you know, I if we could talk a little bit about Hannison now, would that be all right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Hannison show. I wrote the Hannison show. I started writing it about just over midway through the run of Supernatural, mm -hmm. I had picked up a book, one of his biographies. Which one? Uh, the, the first one, the Mel Gordon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the kind of the, the widely available one, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, read through it and realized as I'm reading it, what a natural piece of material this would be for me. Uh -huh, I, uh, uh -huh, I, yeah. I immediately identified with this, you know, a character that is usually somewhat demonized. Here's here's this uh, psychic entertainer, the psychic performer, who got really close to Hitler and the Nazi party. Uh, and spoiler alert, he's Jewish. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, and as a result of that, there there have been a number of different, largely fictionalized, but some of them less so. Uh, renditions of what this guy was like, yeah, and uh, and casting him in a in a very negative light. And I, in reading this, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I kind of get some of this. I'm kind yeah. of identifying with this guy here. This this he's a psychic entertainer mm -hmm. who's trying to survive in a rapidly changing culture. Mm -hmm. And knows what the feeling is on the street. You've got this this uh, populace that just feels beaten down post World War One, and is looking for some dose of hope. Mm -hmm. And 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 he he's he's a smart guy, and he's a publisher, mm -hmm. and he knows he, he he knows what that feeling is like, and knows how to connect with it, and mm -hmm. sees. National Socialist German Workers Party, they're saying the right stuff, which yeah. they were. Right, right. And so he he backed him and he he allied himself with them and and kind of ignored the Mein Kampf stuff. Right. Because, you know, by that point Hitler was largely distancing himself from it anyway. Right. And he ended up on the wrong side of history. You, you know, I mean, it just has all of the sort of uh, hallmarks of a of a of a of a rich and fascinating character. You know, someone who has all these different aspects. You know, and there's there's uh, you know there's obviously what you're saying. There's the sort of negativity that's associated there. But you know, as 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 a human, you know, absolutely fascinating. You know, I, I first heard about him just through uh, uh, Bob Cassidy's you know book about the effect mm -hmm. i didn't know anything about it before that but um the hennison proof yep yep exactly 
Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, after you know, after hearing about that, it, it's it's just what a what a fascinating character, you know. And and mm-hmm. you know, of course, the the sort of lack of act, you know, of data around his you know actual uh, life and the the true facts are sort of limited. So that I'm sure that really adds to the mystique as well. Um, Certainly. But, I'm, but, but I, I'm, I was able to get around that a little bit in the dramatization because by making him, uh, for those, for everybody in your audience who has never seen my show, <laughs> which would be everybody, yep. probably, um, I built this, I, I created a two-act play in which Hannison himself breaks the fourth wall and is addressing the audience who are guests at the grand opening of his Palace of the Occult in 1933. So, using that as its framework, telling stories about himself to the audience, we can accept that as, well, he's an unreliable narrator, because, you know, that's what party hosts do. That's, there's <laughs> right. nothing unusual about that. And uh, that way, I, I'm not in a position of trying to weigh every fact quote-unquote, or legend about him as to whether it's truthful or not, uh, because that's that's a task biographers and researchers have failed at for right. decades. I'm right. certainly not going to be able to solve that. Right, right. And it actually really introduces that, I think, uh, which is really beneficial to the to the whole uh, performance and, and, and presentation, uh, uh, you know, the sort of like uh, the sort of the life of pie effect, you know, the, that's, you know, the, 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 the way the story is told is, is some, is somehow more interesting or sometimes more interesting than what the truth might actually be, you know? Well, and again, the, the all these other narratives that have come out regarding him, mm-hmm. it, it's very easy easy to look at him as this bad guy sure. with 2020 hindsight but if you put yourself in his shoes and get to in- enjoy what a character this guy was yeah. and you know get pulled into his storytelling he was a tremendous entertainer must have been yeah and yeah. buying by opening with his stories by making that actually a big part of the show mm. i'm able to make the audience feel something for him, which mm-hmm. is important because he's the central character. And <laughs> sure. uh, again, spoiler alert, something bad is going to happen to him later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> what um, what was the process of researching uh, for the show like? Well, I, I started with, with the Gordon biography. Mm-hmm. I uh, read, uh, well, I, I accumulated a bunch of books. Um, right. There's, another, Mel Gordon wrote another book called Voluptuous Panic, which is about nightlife and uh, the entertainment and nightclub and sexual underground of Weimar of the Weimar Republic. Ah, that's super interesting. Great background. Yeah, he, yeah. he had an amazing, he had, he had an amazing personal file I bet. Uh, on wow. that period. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. The Hannison stuff and the, and then everything surrounding that time and place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to talk to him on the phone a couple of times times and, and exchange emails with him too because i would have oh, cool. questions as i was writing it and he was very he was over at berkeley oh, okay and great and was was very generous as well um wonderful there was also a an eric larson book uh, you know eric larson who wrote double in the white city okay yeah right sure 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 yeah the uh yeah. The, that's the h.h H. holmes book right exactly he's, sure. yeah. he's so good he's so good uh he wrote a book called in the garden of beasts ah. which is uh it takes place in Berlin, during the change from Weimar Republic into Third Reich, uh-huh. 
being told from the point of view of the family of the American ambassador living there. Hmm. Interesting. So, so he's got all kinds of great first person documentation and it's, you know, if you want to get a sense of feet on the ground, what is going on there at that period of time, right, right. Uh, it's, it's hard to beat. I also, uh, saw uh, a lot of value in a book by Eric Weitz mm-hmm. called, uh, just it's just called Weimar Germany, Promise and Tragedy. Mm-hmm. Again, just to get a real sense of what that locale was like when Hannison was working there is key, because yeah. we need to remember what's going on in, in, in the course of this show, and when we get to know Hannison, uh, the Third Reich hasn't really happened yet. It's still mm-hmm. from our republic. This, this, uh-huh. this is the struggle that gets them there. Right. And what happens at opening night of um, the Palace of the Occult is Hannison reveals in that evening's entertainment the seance, the cornerstone of that evening, looking into a crystal ball, one of his guests sees a, 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 a fire in a house and Hannison interprets it as a great house will burn, specifically meaning that the Reichstag was going to burn, yeah. which it did the following day. Right, right. That's nuts. Which, right, which set into uh, action the whole state of emergency that allowed the National Socialist German Workers Party to, to gain power. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a that's a very intriguing and wild twist. Right, right, and and that was, I mean, <laughs> um, and so of course Hannison was. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm spilling the whole show, but this is history, folks. Yeah, um, yeah, I think. Yeah. Hannison was was logically uh, labeled as a security risk to right to the higher ups in the Nazi Party because the fire was arson, right? And and they did it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was he was dead a month later. Do you have a Do you have a uh, speculation as to how he knew that, or if? I mean, either he was actually psychic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Or it was possible. I'm not going mean, yeah. why rule that out? Sure. Or he was cozied up to somebody who had that information. Right, right. Yeah, and if, he, if, that, if it's the latter, then that was an incredibly uh, fateful mistake on his part to capitalize on that, uh, that bit of information. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, there there were other factors that people point to as reasons for him to have been killed, uh, including well, he was Jewish. Yeah, there's, though he, there's that. Though he had, though, though he had done a good job of of hiding that. Right. Um, and he was a banker essentially. Mm-hmm. He had given mm-hmm. loans to an awful lot of higher ups in the party when they were you know a downtrodden ragtag group of. Uh, people that were hoping to gain power. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he, meanwhile, was an extremely successful entertainer and publisher. And yeah. he had a yacht and he had, you know, gorgeous places to live. And mm-hmm. and he, he wined and dined him. And later on, well, you don't have to pay back a banker when he's <laughs> dead. dead. <laughs> you know, those debts just go away. That's true. That's true. So, so lots of good reasons there. Wow, wow, wow! So fascinating. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, just uh, what a what a what an interesting. What, how uh, 
how uh, just like how how did making this show and and getting so deep into this story sort of affect you emotionally or or sort of uh inform just your understanding of of yourself or your performance or anything like that i the act of writing the show well it was a new challenge for me because it was it was a full two act play with a yeah. with a through line and and all of that. And so I had to really think about two act you know, yeah. theater construction. Yeah. And I also yeah. realized that uh, there were a lot of things in the show that I would not be able to do if I did it alone. Right. So I recognized those limitations and was able to bring in the people to help. Mm-hmm. I uh, I pitched it to a few theater companies and mm-hmm. the one that bought uh, what I was selling uh, were fantastic people and were very, very helpful. So Great. all of a sudden I had somebody who could design the sets and, and, and design the lights right, and right. somebody, you know, doing the costumes and somebody, you know, painting things. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, I was so used to being a one man band and it was really, I wouldn't have been able to sleep at night if oh, I uh, so, yeah, it's, if it's I didn't so have that much. group. Yeah, so there's so much, and it looks great. I mean, all of those elements are are spot on. So that's yeah, you you did you ended up in good Thanks. hands. Yeah, apparently. To, again, to the, to those who have not seen the show, it, it had a full set specifically, you know, for the for his palace of the occult. Mm-hmm. There were projections. Yeah. So we had that incorporated into it all. It was dude, sound yeah, that design. That was very helpful. The projections really, really helped because you, yeah, you, while you do have a couple of helpers, it is basically a one man play. And right. um, yeah, the projections was a, a great touch to be able to add the little bits of uh, context and whatnot uh, to to make everything and, smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to hold somebody for two acts, you yeah. you need some you need some visual variety. That's right. That's right. And and, and so, you it, you did an incredible job of of building with that too. That the second act uh, is absolutely so much you know more dramatic and uh, and sort of uh, it does sort of take you on a journey. Uh, it, it, so yeah, I won't I won't give spoilers, but I, I was definitely on the edge of my seat a couple times. Well, good. Well, well, and but but to your point, yeah. what I was saying before about so, yeah. about. Uh, show construction and identifying what your conflict is and from there where your climax needs to be. Right, right. You know, I knew from the beginning after doing all the research that this was really about this man's relationship with with the Nazi party, really. Yeah. And, and so it had to climax with that prediction so now right, backing right, out of that, what's right. our denouement on on the far side of it, mm-hmm. and how do we get into it on the near side of it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, yeah, that's that's it's uh, yeah, that's wild. Well, you certainly have uh, a lot of experience going into it. I I can't imagine uh, uh, being able to pull that off without you know having experience in all these different you know, uh, fingers in all the different pies, so to speak. Thanks. Um, but, but, uh, in terms of anything else, I, I, I realized about myself as uh-huh. part of the production. Uh, well, I, I and I hinted at it before. I, I really saw a lot of myself in this character, right, uh, right. despite the way he'd, despite the way he'd been characterized yeah. so many times. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I was a psychic entertainer. Yep. 
I'm I'm Jewish. Yeah. And I would have the opportunity to do some of this repertoire for a live audience. Yeah. So how how could I resist that? Right. You know. <laughs> right. Right. And also, um, you know, sort of just the. Uh, well, you know, as, as I mentioned before, I mean, the, the theatrical potential, the, the potential for sort of nuance and conflict and stuff, which is appealing as, a, as right. an actor, you know. And this is an important story that isn't generally known. Right, exactly. And so, yeah. this, so it was my opportunity to bring that to a larger audience as well. Right. Yeah, that's it. Are, you, are you kind of a, is history some, one of your sort of something you're interested in on the side in general? Uh, in certain areas. I mean, I don't yeah. profess to you know, know that much about the Civil War or, uh -huh. yeah. you know, yeah, right, very, right, right. very specific things. Yeah. But, you know, in certain in certain pockets yeah. where it catches my interest, yeah, I'll, I'll read and read and read. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, in this day and age where we have access to so much, you know, information, uh, we, we should be consuming as, as, as much as we can that, you know, that's relevant to, to who we are and what we're, you know, trying to present in our art. Um, well, and as performers, and right. as performers, uh, yeah. part of our credibility mm -hmm. uh, is based in us knowing what we're talking about. If, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're in front of people talking about, oh my god, experiences, yeah. you know, based in you know testing as conducted by <sighs> J.B. Ryan, you better damn well know yeah. what that was. Oh my god, you know, or or anything else, you know, if. If I'm going to hold myself out there as an expert on the paranormal in Chicago, I better I better do all that reading. Right, right, right. Oh so, man, that is so true. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I was yeah. I was on uh, was it uh, Forbidden History? Oh, cool. Yeah, last month uh, as as a Hannison expert. Oh wow, cool. I had to, so good thing I knew about Hannison. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, yeah. That is that is a major failing in the the, the mystery arts community for sure. Uh, the amount of people that you know purport to present something and and their their half-assed patter, uh, you know, that ugh, drives me nuts. <laughs> well, and it's a it's fair to say that when you are doing a performance in front of lay people of any size, yeah, a third of them are going to be believers, which right. means that they're probably they probably have read the stuff you have. Right. I mean, the, the stuff that isn't the trick books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. So, so you, so, you, so they're going to sniff you out if you, if you got it wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's a part of a larger conversation. We shouldn't, we don't have to have now, but like, you know, you should, in my opinion, you should be performing in a character that generally aligns with what you actually think and believe, you know? Um, I definitely, uh, to, you know, to, within reason, obviously, we want to extend our <laughs> we want to extend our characters because you know, for the sake of entertainment. But I, personally, and and you may feel differently, but I, you know, I don't I don't like people that are you know diehard skeptic cynics that you know present themselves as as psychics, you know, because there's this sort of cognitive dissonance in the way that they portray what they're doing. But uh, that, yeah, that, that does, could just that does be, get confusing. But yeah. I, I, I would venture to say that if the realm of performance is that, and you're an actor, mm -hmm. I don't care what your beliefs are as long as you can believe it while you're on stage. Mm, okay, you know what? That's a great point. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a. Yeah, I mean, okay, I agree with you there. I, I do think with with 
I, mean, I guess it depends on what you're doing because because you're 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 we're talking about you're playing a role of of a, of, a, of a completely different person. And I think a lot of a lot of magicians and mentalists, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of general advice is you know yourself but extreme, right? You know, they're kind of playing a, mm-hmm. a kind of uh, a modified version of themselves. So I think that's kind of more a modified a modified version of yourself with superpowers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think yeah. I, I think within that, I think that's kind of. But I don't know. I mean, you have a point. If you can, if you can portray it while you're performing, I guess it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, and there's also the question of, well, if you look at your act as a theater piece, what right. are you communicating? Right. And, you know, I I choose my material to communicate things. Uh-huh. Uh, going back to you, you you better have done your research and know what you're going to say about it because that's. That's your communication. That's that's what you're putting out there, and right. the whatever special effects you're supplying are there to support. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So how so how do you feel about that information that you're putting out there? Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, I I've always been fascinated by the unknown and the the, mis- the mysterious and the paranormal. That's something that I've mm-hmm. you know been fascinated with and interested in since I was a kid, and when uh, when I'm on stage I don't I don't necessarily my goal isn't necessarily to change people's beliefs but I do want to share that you know sort of that sense of wonder and mystery that that evokes for me you know so I mean that's oh, yeah. kind of, that's kind of the underlying uh the thing that I want to share right is like is this possible is this something that's outside of what we you know accept to normally be true could that actually be possible you know well and when people go to a show to see a performer they want to get to know that you know that either that performer or at least that character, or at least the character. in some way right yes so yeah. so if you have an enthusiasm for this information that you want to convey and yeah. that that gets out there then you're doing your job right right yeah that's exactly right that's exactly right do you have any advice to uh to to uh performers that would like to sort of move towards being more theatrically effective well uh, step one is writing a show. <laughs> <laughs> Something they can actually do, Neil. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, know what, know what you want to say. Know what, know what topic interests you, whatever, or person that interests you, or what have you, and think about what that story is that you want to tell. And then, then you go through the work of making it compelling and giving it a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And what special effects slot into that to support what you want to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, and, and, and that's, it's uh, from a theater sort of background, that's, that's fairly, you know, sort of standard advice, but for a magician or a mentalist who's used to doing what you call the parade of tricks, that's actually pretty, pretty radical departure. Um, because yeah, I mean, uh, they're not typically not thinking about a, a message or, or, or selecting effects in order to accentuate, you know, the, the, the story, rather, you know, it's, it's, it usually goes the other way. What's a story I can well, use to present this effect? Right. Or, or just thinking about, you know, on a granular level, well, I can do magic square and I can do, you know, the fourth dimensional telepathy and I can do, you know, so you, you figure that stuff out, but, yeah. and maybe you have reasonable presentations for each, individual effect but you've yeah. got to think in terms of the overarching show yeah. yeah what what gets you through it 
Right. And what is what is? And I hate using the word journey because man, that's used a lot. But <laughs> what is the journey that you're taking the audience through? Yeah. From the beginning to the end. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. And I think like in the in the mystery rights world, there's a kind of a general concept of of uh, of building. You know, start with uh, you know, and there's different sort of opinions about the right way to do it. But generally speaking, you know, you want to create a build so that at least in terms of the impossibility of your effects, you're you know, you're sort of right. you, getting to that. The, the strongest stuff towards the end, you know. Right. Um, yeah, and and as long as well, and I can't find fault with that. I mean that 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 is a tried and true. Yeah. You know, you building to the the most powerful piece that you've got. Yeah. And then maybe have you know a moment of connection after that. So that you're not just leaving them right. on climax, right. but you, you get actually them have after to get Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, yeah. right, and 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 a, and a peek behind the curtain, a chance to get uh-huh. to know uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. Um, Great, yeah. Which you know, I mean, <laughs> you go to any good musical performance, you'll get that encore. You'll get that. Yeah, the, right, the, right. The, perform, the, the performer, the performer does the big tear the house down show uh, number, and the audience goes wild. He he bows and leaves. They ask him back. He comes back, and then he takes it down. Right. Then it's just him and his guitar. Right. And we're right. just going to do something soft and acoustic, and something that I was just raised with. It's just something really, per, really personal to me. And can I tell you a little story first? That technique is valuable, and you, as a performer, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, but I would suggest also that just getting you from effect to effect to effect, just think about, think about the bigger story you're telling. Yeah. 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 There's, there's ways you don't, you don't, you, we can, uh, we can take one step at a time and, and, and just add, uh, add a little bit here and there. And then hopefully, uh, by the end of our, uh, as, as you say, journey, um, we'll, uh, we'll arrive at a, at a, at a piece of theater that can, can take your audience to, uh, to, uh, somewhere that, you know, has them thinking or feeling or hopefully both. Um, well, Neil, I, I think we're. This is probably a, a good place to find an ending. We're about out an hour. I I wanted to. Um, uh, we didn't really talk about any of your um, of your products. I wanted to just mention stuff briefly. Um, you've got some excellent products on the market. Oh, thank you. And uh, and uh, I think uh, most mentalists are are probably familiar with Expert. Um, but you've also got some great ESP cards, uh, which were uh, I've used to Thank great you. effect as well. Um, is there a place that you would prefer people to uh, check your stuff out? Oh, you know, get... the only place where I actually have things posted mm-hmm. are on Penguin. Okay. Um, people who reach out to me individually can buy certain things for me individually, but a lot, I, I don't keep a lot of ESP cards around. I just, sure. I just ship them all over to them. Uh, and ditto with expert. They actually, at this point, they penguin manufactures them. So I don't even right. touch them. Right. Uh, time, time was, I was making every single one on the kitchen table. Oh so my God. I am, I am so glad to be done doing that. Seriously. Yeah. That's, not I was it. making them, I was making them by the gross. Murphy's was distributing them wow. and it was, yeah, I was so done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, but the ne- uh, next stuff that I'll be launching, uh, you know, I mean, I've got I've got some eBooks that are available directly from me that I'm probably going to be migrating to Penguin soon. Great. Okay. Um, one of which, well, right now you can get it from me. Is uh, it anybody who does tarot card work or wants to do tarot card work? Uh, I have a personal marking system 
for the classic rider weight blue plaid back US Games tarot cards. Oh, cool. Which nice. is like the num- the number one design for tarot cards in the world. You, yeah. you get them everywhere. They're available in several different sizes from jumbo down to pocket size. That's but right. it's always that blue plaid back right. and, the, and the classic rider weight Smith right. uh, illustration on the front. Absolutely. And um, I, have, I have my own system for marking them that Right. Is, it's bold but deceptive, and uh, a lot of people say nice things about them. I've it's I've been offering it just through through email uh, for for a few years now. Great! Oh, that's great to know. And and right now I'm the only one carrying it. So there's okay. that. Excellent, excellent. So I'll put I'll go ahead and put, uh, put a link to to uh, to uh, your penguin. Uh, uh, stuff uh, in the show description, and then um, is there a place you'd like to direct people to get in touch with you if they wish to do so? Sure, you can uh, get a hold of me at, at uh, Neil at necromancerevents dot com. So it's N E I L and necromancer events exactly outspelled. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Right on, Neil. Thank you so much for uh, for chatting with me. It was an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you sharing a, a slice of your world. It was informative and inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Definitely one of the uh, more enriching conversations I've had the pleasure of having on this podcast. Um, uh, Thanks again to Neil for chatting with me. Um, If you want to check out any of his products, uh, he's available on Penguin Magic. Just search his name and uh, or contact by the email that he uh, mentioned in the uh, end of the podcast there, uh, end of the interview there. If you want to check out any of my products, I'm also available on Penguin Magic. I have my Lost Luggage book test and the 3.5 Utilities video. I got some really interesting feedback about the uh, Lost Luggage book test recently from a Korean magician who uh, is uh, has asked permission to teach it in an upcoming lecture. Um, and what he said was, and of course this is true, it hadn't occurred to me, but uh, things like uh, Flashback or Mother of All book tests are not uh, available in uh, Korean language. So something like the Lost Luggage book test becomes um, an excellent uh, possibility for, for providing something that you know, rivals those types of book tests, but uh, you can make yourself. Anyway, I hope you all are staying happy and as healthy as possible. Talk to you next time. Peace.